1: Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 447. I've got a great panel this week. They've been a little bit naughty already. They've had some feedback from Facebook. I sounded like a headmaster at one stage. There we go. I'm going to let the panel introduce themselves. I'm going to start with my friend Sally. Sally, would you like to introduce yourself quickly?
2: Uh, Yes. Good morning. My name is Sally Getch. I am the uh, WP fangirl and apparently the person with perpetual microphone problems. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm the organizer of the East Bay WordPress Meetup in Oakland, California. You should join us on Sunday to learn about RFPs.
1: Oh, that sounds interesting. All right. I've got Uncle Spencer who's muted. Hopefully you will unmute himself, Would you like to introduce yourself, Spencer?
3: I was trying to read what Joe's cup <laughs> said because my sister had a cup that says always right. This is "Linda.com." I love that. Uh, Spencer Foreman from WPLaunchify.com.
1: Oh, that's great. And I've got my friend, Chris. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself,
4: Chris? I'm Chris from Lifter LMS, where we help course creators build their stuff on WordPress.
1: And I've got my close friend, John Locke. John, would you like to introduce yourself? John Locke, SEO
5: practitioner for manufacturing and industrial companies.
1: That's great. I've got my new friend Joe here.
0: Joe, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, Joe Casabona. I uh, podcast and help people launch their podcasts and I create courses.
1: Yeah, I'm going to get away with that. All right, uh, right, on to the first story. On to the first story. Uh, um, I thought we had to do this. WordCamp US 2020 date and location announce new weekday schedule. What do you think of this one, Chris?
4: I think it's a good move. Um, uh, I've been to an event called Cabo Press and they put it during the week. And I always like that because when I get back, you have a weekend to kind of recover, get oriented, take some of your insights and move them into action. I understand why they put it WordCamps on the weekend for most WordCamps, but WordCamp US is more of an industry event. So it's more of a work work week for a lot of attendees, not all attendees, but a lot of them. So I think I'm just excited for the move. I think it was a smart decision.
1: I think. Where is it again?
2: St. Louis.
4: Same
1: place. It, it
2: will be in St. Louis again next year.
1: Shall I wait there I think I'm probably going to have to. You anyway. know.
2: Yes. Um, uh, people may find that flights are cheaper if they're going during the week. That's true. Um,
1: what do you reckon about it, Sonny?
2: Uh, you know, I have no opinion on it. I'm not going to be able to get there, uh, regardless. I mean, it was unli- already unlikely, and then the the uh, uh, another event I have to go to reschedule to, to that weekend and there's no way I could do two things like that. So close to each other. I notice a few people say that, you know, it could be a problem to bring their um, kids since they're trying to encourage young people. Um, but, you know, for, for me, I, I don't make a lot of distinction between weekdays and weekends anyway.
1: Yeah, that's true. I'm the same. What, re- what do you reckon, Uncle Spencer?
3: Uh, I'm waiting for to be in Las Vegas, San Diego, Mexico, because you couldn't pay me to go to St. Louis in the winter. <laughs>
2: Apparently it wasn't that cold, but yeah, I mean, you know, the first one, yeah. Philadelphia
3: same the weather is
2: not happening.
3: It, it's not the weather. It's just, it's like, I'm in Chicago. Have it in Chicago. I'll see you in Chicago. At least there's stuff to do, but like, I'm not going to downtown St. Louis. And
2: <laughs> well, apparently the, uh, from all the photos and stuff, they they actually had fun and there's more in St. Louis than you might think. Um,
1: uh, yeah. I'm told because uh, fundamentally I, I agree with Uncle Spencer, really. You know, if I was in Chicago, I would have gone. <laughs> I'm sorry.
3: Um, what I you detest
2: reckon? Las Vegas, but at least I can drive to it.
3: Vegas would be fun. Other oh, stuff yeah. to do while you're there. Is what I'm
2: saying. No. There isn't, really, because it's all horrible gambling casino crap or overpriced shows.
3: <laughs> That's a whole nother show we'll have to talk
0: about. Yeah, we that. have to go there. there. What do you reckon, Joe? I think it's a great move. Um, like Chris said, you know, it's WordCamp US especially is more of an industry uh, event. People are going there for, um, hopefully, to move the chains of their business. I love that it's before Halloween because I missed all of the pre-event stuff to go trick-or-treating with my daughter. Um, and so I like that they've kept parents in mind too. Um, and I just think, you know, if I, I don't think that one should have to give up their weekend to attend such an important networking event. So I'm glad it's on the week. I'm glad it's during the week now. All right. John, what are your aim yeah, I think it's falling more in line with uh, industry
5: standards. I mean, the the, the local WordCamps. I mean, that's I totally understand why you would have those on the weekend because a lot of the people who attend the regular meetups are they're either uh, you know small agency owners or they're people who who DIY. But for the big national WordCamp, I think it's great to have it midweek because every other marketing web. Uh, development conference is midweek. So um, I think it's great. And St. Louis is a good city. There, are, There is stuff to do there.
1: All so. right. Oh, right, On to the next story. Oh, this is a juicy one. Oh, yeah. The, another tech company I can ever go at. Apple's sexist credit card isn't just a PR problem. It's a nightmare for all of us. Oh, a juicy one. What do
3: you reckon, Uncle Spencer? Well, I don't know what the problem is because, like, I got my Apple card and it had a little penis on it. And my <laughs> girlfriend got one and had breasts on it. Is there a problem? I don't understand. <laughs> it's from Goldman Sachs. So what could be the problem? Um, <laughs> let, let, me, let, me, let me explain a personal story. And I don't mind. But, but back in the day, in the 90s, um, I hung out with a bunch of ski bums, one of whom was uh, his father was one of the founders of the FICO score. I won't say which kid it was, but his dad was one of the names in the FICO is Fair Isaac company. So let's put it like this. Anyway, I was doing real estate development back then and for many years. And what happened in the early days of real estate was you met with a real banker, like it's a wonderful life. And they looked at your life and your business. They had a real relationship and they talked to you and there was extenuating circumstances. Maybe you got the money, maybe you didn't. Then this fight go score thing got created. And even though it's not this monster that it is today, like all of a sudden the humans started getting removed, pulled out of the process of making decisions. This is just the natural extension of the world we live in where some dude or woman or somebody as a team made an algorithm and they put in all this biased bullshit. And, you know, where's Morton when we need him? And it spits out these obvious results, which is like, Steve Wozniak's wife is probably the one that runs his whole entire enterprise as the two of them. And she ends up becoming a pauper because some guy at Goldman Sachs programmed in, well, surely she couldn't be good good credit risk.
1: Well, you only, had, you, only, you only had to link two words to go, Goldman and Apple together. You knew, you knew what was going to happen, didn't you?
3: I mean, it's just, it's just like it's shining light on all of the mold that's around the bathtub. You know what I mean? Like just seeing what was already there. It's just making it more clear for me.
1: This us to the lady of our panel. What did you think of this, Sally?
2: Okay, I hope my uh, internet uh, holds steady enough for me to answer. Um, you know, sad but not surprised, uh, as sort of as Spencer says, um, I think it's in a way it's good that it happened and that it happened in a way that could be publicized like this. Uh, I'm sure it happens with all kinds of cards and, and companies. Um, but the fact that it happened to certain people who are in a position to know their credit rating should be better um, is you know helps us to recognize that yeah these these algorithms are not somehow you know are not unbiased um, they do not eliminate bias from the system. I um, uh, frankly, I'm astonished because I once had a credit card that just like kept increasing my credit limit, even though I had essentially no income and, and could never pay it off. Um, and finally, learned that the best thing for me is not to have credit cards at all.
1: Uh, sure. what, what do you reckon, Chris?
4: Uh, I don't really have a comment just besides that uh, I'm just generally interested in the conversation around the institution of marriage. And I'm married. I'm happily married. And uh, But then there's like this argument against the institution of marriage as to the tax implications, if you don't want to get married and all this stuff. And I think this just shines the light on, well, if you are married, shouldn't both partners be treated equally in terms of their credit score or looked at together? It's it's just an interesting lens at which to look at the institution of marriage. That's my only comment. Right.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. What do you reckon, John? Um... You know, for one,
5: the the Apple card, basically it's Goldman Sachs using the uh, positive brand image of Apple in order to lend people money. Goldman Sachs uh, took $10 billion in in the bailout in 2008. Three years after that, they outsourced uh, 1,000 American jobs to Singapore in order to make more money. Uh, But why didn't the free market just let them go under? Where's my bailout? Where's your bailout? Anyway. um, Where's the actual
2: free market?
5: Yeah, it's, it's, anyway. uh,
1: It's very, it's very free. Very free for some people. It's very free for some people.
5: Well, I mean, this, this one story like packs a lot. It it, it talks about how societies really have, have always been uh, kind of focused around the men, patriarchal. Um, it's only been recently that women have had equal, any type of equal footing. I mean, let's be honest, even here, it's only been like maybe two generations. America
2: is actually in in the developed world, one of the worst. I
5: know. Um, But also it talks of, you know, it's uh, talking about like uh, how the the tech world and the financial world all kind of collaborate around this, uh, you know, system. It's not right. It's not fair, um, and like Chris said, if people are married, I mean, the wife should share in the positive credit that the that the husband. Well, does.
2: certainly in those cases where they said they shared all of their assets and accounts, um, you know, yeah. if, if if you don't share things if you have different business if you i can see that but in 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 a case where both of the women were wealthy in their own right and uh everything all the assets were shared it's like yeah something is wrong with this picture there's still a lot of things wrong with
5: with this picture it's just this story is a microcosm of of many facets of things that that probably could be improved
1: so yes what do you reckon joe
0: uh I'm gonna have an unpopular opinion here, but this story is clickbait of the highest order. Uh we don't know anything. David Hennemeyer Hansen tweets and they get a whole story about how Apple and Goldman Sachs is sexist. Maybe DAH just spends more money at Apple than his wife does. Maybe Steve Wozniak spends more money than at Apple never. Than his wife. never. The, the uh uh <laughs> If they want to make an impact, right? I'm not saying that it's not sexist. I'm saying this story is garbage. If they wanted to do real investigative journalism and look into it and interview all sorts of people who applied for the Apple card and even maybe just maybe link to the statement that Goldman Sachs made, like all they they quote a single line. And then they say, like God, algorithms often work in mysterious ways. It shows it just a fantastic uh, misunderstanding of the, the financial and the tech space. So I'm not saying Goldman Sachs is not sexist, but I'm saying this is a terrible uh, news article written by a journalist.
2: Oh, it, it, it needs more research, assuming you can get any of the actual data. Uh, right, but that's but, what know, investigative journalists are supposed to do. Yes, but isn't that how most articles are written these days, to be clickbait with, you know, and as, as and new actual all, facts as possible and no
0: checking them yourself? And we're all dumber because of it, right? This is why we all thought that we knew how the government worked under Obama. This is why we all think terrible things are happening under Donald Trump. I mean, they are happening under Donald Trump, but the, the, my point is, we're only getting these tiny facts that are not researched, uh, and then we we take them at whatever face value we want to take them at.
3: It and is so, in the opinion section, though. In all fairness, I mean, it's the opinion section, so it's supposed to be, like, just really short and sweet, I think. And she, uh, I don't know if she's a regular columnist or not, but, like, I think she's doing this as a way to start the conversation. Your point is well taken, Joe. But I'm saying, like, this wasn't designed to be like a thoughtful article. It was designed to be like, let me throw throw this thing out and discuss it. You know, kind of. Yes,
2: uh, Joe has a Joe has a very good point that articles in general are not designed to be thoughtful most of the time these these days. But then, um, we wouldn't have nearly as much contention and dispute on this podcast as as we do if, if they were.
0: So yeah, that that is true, and it is it is labeled as opinion, um, but uh, no. People, I suspect people who are sharing it. Certainly, the way uh,
1: no, I kind of I, kinda, I yeah. see where you're coming from, yeah. Joe. Actually, because it might be under opinion,
0: but it's in a it's in a proper no- yeah. well, supposed to be a Sean. No- Sean Hannity is also supposed to be opinion. Yeah,
1: and people, you know when whatever. he goes into yeah. a certain publication, yeah. even though you're probably deluding yourself, you expect yeah. a certain standard. Yeah. So I kind of so, see where you know, Joe's coming from. Really,
0: I think I think if you're going to speak this strongly, right? Uh, this isn't just a PR problem for Apple. Apple and Goldman Sachs—it's a nightmare for all of us. Right now, it's really just a PR problem for Apple and Goldman Sachs because we don't know the facts. Uh, you know, that's—I mean, my point is that you know I'd like to see a little bit more before I uh, start calling Apple and Goldman Sachs sexist.
2: Which, yes. well, the the, the tweet are. the tweets about it are a PR problem, and yes. uh, you know, if if it gets investigated and is uh, uh, you know demonstrated to be the the case, not in a uh, you know, a few random instances, then uh, that
0: is a more serious issue. Yeah. And I will be the first one to speak on this show about how it's wrong, right? Um, if the facts come out that way. And right. again, they might. Uh, but, you know, that's my take on the story, at least. Oh, it was
1: great. Fantastic. Thank you, Jay. Uh, um, have some more coffee.
0: I uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> Almost
1: gave uh, on- my mic a bath there. <laughs> <laughs> on to the next story. We're on a roll now. It's alive without me. All right. Uh, WordPress five point three. Kirk release brings new default themes, editor improvements, and UI tweaks. Yes, yeah, yeah, it certainly has.
3: Uh, um, Uncle Spencer, what do you think of this one? Um. The only thing I can tell you about this update, because, oh wait, it says I'm muted. Am I muted? No, I'm not. No, we can hear. We can hear. So, uh, the only thing I can tell you about this one is... I don't, think is it's actually, I
1: don't actually think it's going through your
3: mic, though. Is it? Is it messed up? Hold on. I have a problem. Well, this it's, goes, a yeah, it's, going through, it's going through this, right? It's just farther away. I don't, have my, I don't have my mic in my mouth. Oh, right. Okay, anyway, so... Uh, The only thing I can tell about this one, because I do, unlike a lot of people, I just do updates and let the chips fall. This one effed up the admin dashboard with some unwanted CSS changes to things like uh, checkboxes. And I don't know what's going on there yet, but yesterday I was making a series of videos for a course, and (laughs) I did the update. And all of a sudden, everything in the admin dashboard looked different. So I'm not sure if that's me or if it's one particular plugin but I really don't like it when they impose admin CSS style changes without some kind of obvious checkbox. Maybe I have to look into it. Uh, I
2: believe I have not done the update. I believe the admin CSS changes are for accessibility purposes.
3: Yeah, but I think when they did it, they imposed some jQuery CSS on us, which, by the way, is not bad. I understand the unifying of the dashboard, I just sort of feel like these are those things that when we talk about that conversation from months ago of remember when they were going to impose the changes of any updates and then you had to opt out of it. Like maybe it's time to start thinking of if it's going to change the look and the feel of all your stuff, maybe there should be an obvious like, and by the way, there's a new checkbox in the dashboard that says, you know, turn off the CSS bullshit or something because this is a minor problem. I didn't have a big deal, but all of a sudden I thought, well, it just changed yesterday and oh right five
2: point three it it can be disorienting, I think to 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 clients to have stuff change like that, even if everything is working fine um, you array,
3: know because because if you
2: haven't if you haven't been sitting around looking at the you know all the discussions of what's coming out, then it's a big surprise. Um, um,
3: imagine if you had a one of these modern cars like a Tesla that can do automatic updates. You're driving your car. You're used to where all the controls are on the digital dashboard. You stop at a gas station, go in for a cup of coffee. You come back, and there's a sign that says, oh, by the way, 5.3 updates happen. You're like, cool. Turn the car on. All of a sudden, everything's in Chinese. You're like, what the hell just happened? Like, I can't drive my car. I was just, you know, uh, that's the feeling that I get when these kind of things happen.
2: Has it has it actually, like, rearranged where stuff is?
3: And, and- No, what it did is it took, for example— this is minor, but it took like normal big square black and white check boxes and made them little tiny, like you know, really heavily rounded blue with like the checkbox is not really straight; it's off into the corner. The kind of stuff that would annoy the hell out of a client if yeah, all of a sudden there's. I'll team I'll, came
2: I'll, there. I'll have to check because they they made changes on purpose, but I'm not sure what you're seeing is what what's supposed to be there.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I could yeah. be wrong. But when I went back, it seemed to be the only changes were coming from the core of WordPress. And then I looked at the stuff. So who knows?
1: You need a good support company, Spencer. There we go. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> Chris, what do you think?
4: I'm excited about it. I like seeing Gutenberg moving forward. The um the nested block and the uh, cover block was something that I was kind of personally waiting for. And it's it's really one step closer to Feature parity with page builders. I mean, there's a long way to go, but to be able to do like a hero image and put like a call to a, a headline, a subheadline, and a button on there, this this was a feature that just gives you a lot more page builder like modern functionality. So I just like seeing Gutenberg moving forward.
0: Hi, right Leo. Joe, what do you reckon? Uh, well, I'm I'm most excited for my friend uh, Francesca Morano who. Uh, was one of the release leads and she's amazing. Uh So I'm, and she was very nervous about all this. So I'm glad things seem to go swimmingly. Uh, I am most excited for the 2020 theme. I feel like this is the first theme uh since like maybe 2015. Was that the one with the rail on the, on the side? Um, that's looked really, really nice. Maybe it's 2016 I'm thinking of, um, but I, I love think it's the way.
2: 2015, 2016 okay. was especially blah.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Um so I'm like really excited for the 2020 theme. I'm using it on one of my websites and I think it looks uh, just super nice. Um, the improvements to the block editor uh, are, are really good. And I, I think I saw Rachel uh, Cherry uh, tweet out about how there's been significant accessibility improvements um, based on the audit feedback that, that came out. So uh, that's also very exciting to see.
1: Right, yeah, I think we go for our break when we come back. I need to mention my sponsor because I forgot I, to yes, do it at the beginning. Yes, I was
2: going to say. Wait, I don't think we heard about the sponsors. No, go hear about your
1: sponsors, my beloved sponsors, my true friends. I love you, sponsors. <laughs> I'll rather be back in a few moments, folks. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your
5: trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the
4: podcast.
1: Coming back. And I want to quickly talk about my, one of our sponsors. That's Breezly. Breezly is one of the most innovative page builders on the market, in my opinion. They've actually um, they've got some even more amazing updates, which they released a couple of days ago which were quite quite impressive, actually. Um, I, went, I joined the webinar with one of the founders of Beasley and um, I was very impressed what they're doing. So if you're looking for a top-tier page builder for yourself or for your clients, I suggest that you go over to breasley.com and I really appreciate Breasley, um supporting the show and being a sponsor. Thanks, Beasley. Um, on to the next story. Um this is, what if scale breaks community? How to reboot audience engagement amid political attacks and platform capture? I think this came from you, didn't it, um, Sally? So what what caught your eye about this one? Right.
2: Somebody shared this in, I forget where, some some Slack group that, that I'm in. And it is very, very long. Uh, but it's Neiman Labs is kind of talking about uh, uh, sort of... Uh, Ongoing case studies they've done with some news organizations that are um, smaller news organizations and uh, experienced some issues with. I mean, I'm sure everybody uh, has seen you know what happens with comments on like newspaper websites when they have them turned on. Is they're they're usually just hideous and um, uh, that, that what these groups tended to find was that as their audiences got bigger the engagement went from something overall positive or at least civil to something that was often, they, they used the word weaponized uh, uh, several times in the article. And then they had to think about, well, what do we do? Because we want audience engagement, but we don't want all of this stuff around it. And and that they've started to adopt kind of different models uh, for having people actually engage with them, some of which seem to also be, Uh, partly uh, revenue models uh, as well in terms of membership and so on. And they are starting to see uh, improvements in the interactions. So if you go sort of way down to the bottom, uh, there is a nice list of key findings. Relationships with communities don't just resist scale. Scale can break communities, especially when combined with various forms of Platform capture, including the weaponization of online communities and frequent changes to platforms, products, and policies. Hmm, I wonder what platforms we might possibly be talking about. Uh, uh, But that point seems to apply to all communities, not just like the newspapers community, but, you know, I heard some comments that were kind of similar about WordCamp US, that it's... It's was it's big in a way where, you know, if you come in and you don't already know everyone there, it doesn't feel very community like uh, and that it's it seems to be that, you know, you're going to have a a, a more personal experience at a more personal level um, and it also says, you know, once you've weaponized an audience, you, you can't… Uh, I'm
1: having problems here. Sir. I'm trying to concentrate on what you're saying, but I'm actually more involved with the cat. Um, oh, the well,
2: cat. the cat is adorable, but she does this to <laughs> so, me every day, so I can uh, ignore it even if you can't. Um, audiences can't be recalibrated through direct engagement at scale. Um, so that it's like the, once it becomes a problem, you can't fix it the way that, that you broke it. Uh, you have to you have to do something different and and try to repair, the, reach people in smaller groups in a more individuated way. So I, I'll stop talking so I can pet the cat. Yeah,
1: you pet. It looks it looks. Uh, um, what do you reckon, Chris?
4: I think uh, what happens is people underestimate the amount of responsibility that goes into like social media. A lot of people. Um, Especially at scale, it can get away from them. And like from the beginning, if you're going to do social media, there has to be a social component. Otherwise, it turns into just media. And what I mean by that is if I have a news channel and I, I have a feed of tweets just flowing across the screen and I don't have a plan as a news company on how to moderate and engage with these tweets and I just let them go, that's not really a strong strategy. That's hackable. But if uh, that the, the act of moderation and having leadership within a company to connect with all this incoming community conversation is important. Because essentially, what's happening is it's flipping, the model is flipping on its head where you have the news company broadcasting, and now that, that power has been democratized to the individual. So they just broadcast, but it's not actually a real conversation. That's where the problem starts to fall apart. In order to, moderate and communicate and lead there has to be resources people uh positions money to you know make the conversations happen i think people when you think about social media it's sometimes that social part gets forgotten conversation is important if you're going to post to social media but you're not going to respond or vice versa it's things start falling apart and you lose control of the machine
1: yeah, I think you make good points there. What, what was coming to my mind was when you, when you were discussing that. Actually, Chris was I, I was watching a, a video from the Hoover Institute. Now I don't know if, if the panel know about the Hoover Institute. It's named under American President. Um, it's um, it's part of what um, part? University California University that is part of. Um, it's part of a. California University, um, and it's very white. It's a very right-wing, in my opinion, a very right-wing um, um, institution. Um, but they do, they do, they they do some really great videos, right? Um, great discussions. And they had this panel, and it was about um, it was about why Darwin might be wrong, why the theory of Darwinism if you really, really fundamentally look at it, it, is probably not totally right. And I to some degree agree with them. And they had this panel, and then but I thought, yeah, when I after I listened to it for a while, I thought, oh, let's check these people up. And these people, part most of them, two of the three panel, were part of a of a another non-profit institution based in Seattle. Which is basically a mouthpiece for a right wing view of um, what's it called creative um, creative something basically that there has to be a god that um, intelligent design that 's it intelligent design, and they're members of this. <laughs> Of this institute um, that's funded by all these right-wing geezers, you know, with their opinion. So what I'm what I'm trying to say in a very long-winded and boring way is that you've really got to check out the backgrounds of people when they're saying stuff, <laughs> because a lot of the time now they're getting paid to say things um, that are, they're not truly independent. I They've got a tenure from a university, and it's extremely hard to sack somebody that's got univer- a university tenure. But when they're members of a of a quasar non profit institution, that, where, where they're getting basically paid to say, you've got to take everything they say with a pinch of salt. What do you reckon, Joe? Am I waffling?
0: Uh, no, I, I mean I I think. This is something that maybe uh I touched on or alluded to earlier um with uh, it's really it's really hard to find good sources, deeply researched stuff uh, primary sources um it's hard right and and you know this article that's talking about like weaponizing communities and weaponizing social media um is continuing to play a bigger role in everything right I mean if we look at um you know, the current political landscape, uh, the Democratic primary, right? I feel like a lot of cues are taken from uh, from the vocal Twitter, uh, political Twitter, right? Um, the New York Times had a great article about that very thing, about how political Twitter is not the barometer for uh, the views of of most of of people who align with a particular party, right? In this case, it was the Democratic Party because that's who, who the primary is focused on this year. Um, so it's it's interesting. It's hard. I don't I don't know what the solution is. I can tell you from my own point of view that um, a community was, I'll use this term loosely, weaponized against me because I I said Philly sports fans are mean. Um, and then a Philly sports blog retweeted that. And then Ooh,
2: they, they proved their right. point. And then thousands yeah. of strangers
0: beat up on you and proved Told me to kill myself. Like <laughs> and I'm like, mother of God. I know. And like, I'm a well-adjusted like adult male. And I'm like, I can handle this. And after like 12 hours, uh, I was like, this is really weighing on me. Like, I, it's the first tweet I ever deleted. Um, so like these, it's the, uh, the anonymity, uh, and mob yeah, rule. Yeah, but you were right though, would not you? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm like, I, like, I was like, thank you for proving my point. Um, and then, you know, they told me to cry about it or whatever. Um, and, but uh, the, the, the anonymity and the mob rule that we see in social media makes it very easy for things like this to happen. And uh, it's, it's a, a hard problem to solve. So I'm, I'm not really, I'm not really sure, uh, you know, if I can comment any more eloquently on this whole situation,
1: yeah, I just, I just like, I, 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 sometimes it's not the best of my character. I've cut, I've cut it down, but I used to go on certain social media and bait right winners, uh, um, and I found them very, t- they're very good at handing it out, but they don't really like anything going their way. Yeah. Uh, um, That's true for most of us. Uh, um, what do you reckon, John? I sympathize
5: with you, Joe. I mean, if, if someone was harassing, um, you know, like a group was harassing me for 12 hours, I mean, it would probably weigh on me too. Um, so when I think about people like Kathy Sierra, uh, you know, it, it just puts it in a, in a lot more context of, of, uh, you know, how devastating that can be and scary, you know, people, um, get weaponized to the point where they send actual death threats. Um, I think that social media, you know, and and communities, you have to curate your communities. I I, I think this is interesting because, I mean, this article is really talking about like people paying for journalism, which I think is a reality. Um, With the online model, you know, a couple newspapers have been able to successfully do that, but with the, the rising cost of newsprint, the fact that the, the old cash cow for, for regular newspapers used to be classifieds, and that's pretty much gone away. The only thing that they, they really have to monetize is online ads. But I think that they're, you know, or online subscriptions, which a few papers have, have been able to do. But I think having people that pay for journalism, I think that's for good journalism and not just uh, telling people what they already want to hear. I, I think that's gonna to have to be a reality and, and, and I think that is a big challenge in journalism overall because I, I do think that, that the internet and the the web being available everywhere did change a lot of things.
2: Yeah. Um, and and real investigative yeah. journalism is expensive. It is because you, you have, have to, pay to, people to take do this. time. You have to like go places. You have to interview people. You have to investigate stuff. You have to get. You know, it, it, it's not. Uh, it, it's not the sort of thing that you can just toss off. And all the newsrooms have, you know, no money anymore. Yeah. Uh, and and that's you know started pre social media. That was Craigslist.
1: Yeah. Well, I think Google Google's enormously benefited benefited from newsrooms and news in general and 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 has managed not to contribute hardly anything.
5: No, they're going <laughs> to siphon it off. You know, and I think, That's what but, they're going to do. They're going to no. have everything go through them and it's either going to be Facebook or Google. Uh, okay, so this part, and let's touch on this because I think this is especially insidious um, because if you pay enough people in St. Petersburg to amplify a, a message that the can be amplified. The them.
1: Ruskies, the Ruskies. I'm
5: just saying. You know, it's, it's, you know, Facebook was responsible for genocide in uh, Myanmar, former Burma, and uh, no one seems to, you know, pay attention to that. But what I see, and I don't watch a lot of, like, news, I don't really watch a lot of TV, but when I do, like, walk past uh, a news, and, and I see often on uh, local news, at least a lot of times they'll have at least one story per day that is something taken from social media. And that has been for like several years. So when you viral story on Facebook or or Twitter, that often makes it to the news. So this is particularly insidious. If you can amplify certain things and make them go viral, they actually get spread into the mainstream news on TV. So it's it's very interesting. I think there does need to be a lot of reform and, and thinking about ways to monetize um, you know, good journalism, as Sally pointed out.
1: So what do you reckon, Uncle Spencer? You look you look amused. I,
3: I, I have a, I mean these are very thoughtful opinions. I appreciate every I agree with everything that's been said, but I will say I have a very simple solution for this which lines up exactly with the Goldman card Goldman Sachs, Apple Card, and all the other algorithms. And that is that have we not had enough of anonymous internet yet? Can we now just simply say, since everybody knows who we are all the time when we're on the internet, can we now just get down to, okay, everything I and do on the internet is Spencer Foreman? Because yeah. as soon as you have a community of people that are real people, they stop and think like, huh. Maybe I shouldn't say that if that's really me. No, that's just, there was, there If was it's one... a
2: small enough group for everyone to know each other, that's true. But you I... can be on Twitter using your real hold on, name. Hold on. And...
3: I'm not going to argue and say you're wrong, but I want to point out, for example, the D-bags that go off with their money and kill animals. Like, you know, the rich guys that kill an elephant. They could be running an anonymous accounting agency in Cleveland. As soon as that thing gets put on Facebook their business is effectively over and they go into hiding. I think, Sally, that it works in large groups too, is that you can be found for your bad behavior if it's really you. Where things go badly, and I speak from personal experience having run this trike flying community for 21 years, is that I said from the early days, let's run it like that story we talked about months ago about that small town, remember, that had like everybody knew each other and everybody like used the internet the way it was like, fantasized about because everybody knew it was their neighbor. Well, if you're gonna take a chance of being a D-bag in public and go after a nice guy or be mean to somebody or do whatever, well, everybody's gonna shame the hell out of you or ruin your business. And if that's the way you want to roll, roll. But that's the answer I have is that like let's stop letting anybody do anything anonymously on the internet.
2: Which works fine oh, until you're dealing I'm with here. A- which works fine until you're dealing with people who are from countries whose governments will you know, do them, them up if they do anything at all.
3: Don't let them, Spencer.
2: I, I, Spencer, if you do that,
5: Twitter will go out of business and uh, Facebook will lose about half its users. And that's and They better. won't let that happen. They will not let that happen.
0: I mean, well, Twitter, Twitter is the use case that I thought about, right? If you look at like all the douchiest comments, uh, like replies on Twitter, it's from people who have like four followers. Like, they don't care. Yeah. What's that? Oh, yeah. And
3: and fake names and profiles, like you know, American patriot. Well, you know that's a Democrat.
0: But like, (laughs) but like, even the people who are like using ostensibly real names, right? It's like, like they've got nothing to lose. They've got four followers. They'll they'll just start a new Twitter account or whatever. But um, I, I I like the idea of of removing anonymity. But I think John is right. Like Twitter. Twitter thrives on this crap, especially, like, especially Twitter. Like, like Jack can say all the things he wants, but he's, probably, he's sitting on his giant pile of money going, I don't care. Let them do what they want. Let them eat cake. Yeah, let them eat, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work
2: out so well for Marie Antoinette, though.
0: No, that's true. Yeah,
1: poor woman. But, uh, I don't think she ever said that either, did she? But well, prob- so it's good, probably it's
2: good, not. But
1: yeah, it's a good line, though, isn't it? I mean,
2: yes, I mean, what you have to understand is is that in the context, uh, it, it, cake meant basically the burnt stuff on the bottom of of right. the bread that they tossed out to poor people, and not like you know your birthday cake with candles
0: on it. Uh, I think I think cake would be replaced with a different word today. But mm. I don't. I don't like to swear on podcasts, so I'm not going to say
1: it. I would, I would never swear on this podcast. <laughs> never. <laughs> never. Uh, <Ralph. laughs> no, you're like
3: <laughs> Seinfeld of this podcast. Pardon? <laughs> what's that? What, what's that? He's only clean jokes, clean humor on this show.
0: Yeah, that's uh, off mic like a sailor, but on mic, I try to keep it clean.
1: No, keep it clean most of the time. It's only when you you um, it's
2: only when certain things trigger him that, that yes. suddenly the Tourette's <laughs> kicks in. <laughs> <laughs> On to the, oh god. On to the next
1: story. Sitekit is now available for all WordPress sites. What what's this about, John? Yeah, so basically this is a uh WordPress
5: plugin that Google has put together. Maybe you know Google uh, sees WordPress blowing up. They're trying to work more closely with them. Um, but, the devil, yeah. Mm-hmm. But basically, yes. Yeah, so, uh, so what
2: was that about? You know, people knowing everything about us.
5: Yeah, exactly. But basically, this uh, this puts a widget in your admin dashboard to where you can see uh, some of your Google Analytics and and uh, Google Search Console stats. Um, I. Frankly, I'm going to say that I haven't put it on any of my client sites because I only have about 10% of my clients even log in. They're too busy out making money. Um, so money. They're, too, they're too busy making money. I'm sorry. They just don't log into their site. But, um, you know, this can be useful. You know, where I see this um, devastating, probably the, um, the the Monster Insights, the Google Analytics for Monster Insights, yeah. um, I see that really being affected by this.
1: Plugin. I, I think it's going to take some share away from that. If it, Well, if it works properly, you know, Google, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, what do you reckon, Chris?
4: I think it's cool. the uh, The Google suite of products, even for a power technology user, it's kind of hard to get everything to really become a master at all of it. So if this helps people just easier get into things like paid advertising, SEO, Just making analytic based decisions. I think it's a good thing. I'm a happy Munster Insights user. Uh, Munster Insights actually has direct Lifter LMS features built into it in terms of tracking revenue from course sales. And I don't think that uh, the Google, if Google wants to come into the WordPress ecosystem, there's like a different kind of set of rules on the table where there's some cooperation and collaboration. Uh, within the community itself. So it's one thing for Google to bring all its products in, but there's also the rules of engagement we have in the WordPress community where we integrate with uh, kind of best-in-breed tools to solve problems together.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. What do you reckon, um, Uncle Spencer?
4: like Chris's point. You know, Chris is always the
3: very calm voice of reason.
1: He is. He's been very very calm today, Is
3: (laughs) not he? Chris, you're very diplomatic. You know that. Uh, He said the same thing that I was thinking, but I would have said it differently, which is is like, this is like the guy who pulls the party van up to the driveway where, you know, the local community group is having a a dance. And like like the guys from Spinal Tap come out and like, ah, we're going to do it. So like Google, (coughs) here's another spin on this. I obviously am biased towards marketing automation. What I've found is that there's a certain group of people who need Google Analytics, and I can't deny that. But for, for most businesses, they get more data from specifically knowing the individuals who are on their site. So for the owners of the site, I wonder if you give them a simple dashboard, what do those numbers mean to them anyway? I mean, in other words, like, okay, it's simpler and that is awesome, but the dashboard has to actually connect to some meaningful metric or something. And that's where I feel like a lot of my clients are disconnected because they don't know what to do under the hood with Google Analytics to connect all the, the things to spit numbers out that even mean anything.
2: Yeah, I, I was having a conversation with a, with a colleague recently who was saying, you know, my clients, every time they see any kind of analytics are like, well, but what does it mean? It's like, okay, so you we maybe need to like figure out first what we're trying to measure and then like... What you know, it associate mean? that with a with this with something when we tell you what it is. <laughs> well, what, what does he mean? Very existential. What does life
3: mean? <laughs> Here's an actual use case. So I, I had a client the other day who's a successful company, it was a larger company, and they actually said, Well, we've got 8,000 impressions on this particular page. And Google Analytics said, I said, Do you really? And they said, what do you mean, 8,000? I said, that's as 8,000. Well, Two-thirds of
1: them are all bolts.
3: That, <laughs> Since you do not know who the 8,000 impressions are from, that could be one dude in the Ukraine who just keeps banging your page over and over and refreshes his cash. If you had, let's say, a marketing automation approach, you could see 8,000 individual people and know who they are. And I think, in a way, this feeds into the same conversation. I find it very disingenuous of Google who does more harm than anybody else with their other practices to claim that they're so you know, precious because they protect you from knowing who the individuals are. When that says unique visitors, I think it would be a far greater world if we just get on with it. And it says Spencer Foreman visited your page, Chris Badgett visited your page, Sally Goitsch visited your page, because then at least you would know who's really hitting my page from the public what the hell are they doing here? And what am I going to do about it? Because that guy's bothering me versus this sort of like, you know, I I hope
2: you're at least asking these people their permission to have that much of their information.
3: that's That's the larger conversation, which is to say, Google's tracking people claiming that it's anonymous, but then they do all that bullshit with your own browser or where if I say something to my Alexa, Google participates in selling my particular data through an ad agency. And now I'm seeing ads for tampons or bicycles or something. It's like, What the hell is going on? They're doing one thing with one side of their mouth and one side with the other. So Google Analytics is a tool without it being a rant. I find interesting because when people who are clients say, what do I do with this? I say, do you know yet? Because if you don't know yet, there's better ways to measure stuff about who's engaging with your site and just do that in a more direct fashion because analytics by itself even dumbed down is raw data. You
2: know. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it can give you information that might be useful about, you know, what seem to be the most popular articles or what search terms are people using to get to your site. But it doesn't necessarily tell you, is that anything that's valuable to you? Are the people who are reading this very popular article, you know, more likely or less likely to become customers?
3: And with the customer thing, there's an important point. Chris brought up something, which is not untrue maybe it helps you make decisions about where to spend ad dollars or what sells better, but really it doesn't because there's a disconnect unless you specifically sell in the actual chain from the ad through the click, through the page, through the thing. As soon as that chain is broken, you cannot validate that that's the actual person who came back later or that they didn't look at five other things or go to your webinar or have a phone call. So there could be a million variables between the thing that first drove them to your site and the thing that closed the sale. And to me, that almost is worse than not knowing at all. Whereas with, again, a marketing automation approach, it may be more imposing on the people who are looking for privacy. But if Sally comes to my site and I track Sally, I know exactly what Sally did between the first time I met her and the time she bought.
2: Only if you're talking to me a lot, because there's probably a bunch of things that I'm doing offline somewhere else and this and that and the other thing. Right. Uh, especially if I'm, if I'm shopping for something that's a, that's a serious investment. Correct. There, there's yeah. going to be much more involved than just what's happening on any one person's website. Exactly.
3: Right, which makes the whole analytical thing sort of false to begin with because... There is no way that knowing more about page visits is going to help you understand why you're selling more stuff because there could be 800 things people do offline, online, different places, different things that don't get recorded. So now well, it's it, like
2: it may depend on what you're selling. Cuz if you're selling something that's really a commodity and you've got the cheapest price and you, you know, then and it, you manage to spread that information, then that might well be why you're selling more of it. But yeah, if it's if it's something where people have to consider and make decisions and go through a lot of steps and it's a it's a long process, then you're not necessarily going to get really specific, useful information out of just how many people visited this web page.
1: Well, you know, I think we had a good discussion. Right, let's wrap it up with our recommendations of the week. My Are recommendation. Sorry, go on.
3: Yeah, I, sorry. I know everybody wants to go, but like, since we're not entirely out of time, aren't we going to talk about the? Recurring payments feature launched by WordPress for Jetpack users. Like, yeah, we
1: could, we could discuss that. Go on there, yeah. go no, there. Yeah. Just, like,
3: just Spencer names has
1: names. opinions about this.
3: Yeah, like this is the kind of thing I love. This is the only reason I get up in the morning on Fridays is to come here and whine about like...
1: There, <laughs> We're going to mention joke. his name. we could going to have to mention the other geezer's name. Was we'll it?
3: Which geezer? What do you mean?
1: Auto. Auto. you go. got to mention Except Otto. Otto. Sure. Yes, I don't know. He's
2: he to have, he must be part of this.
3: You're right, you're right. This is one thing that doesn't have to do with auto. Anyway, it was a backup story, essentially, that our favorite Trojan horse, Jetpack, is now introducing a recurring payment feature that essentially, and the point of the story is, for newbies, can add up to being 11%... Total cost per transaction. That's the, that's the kind
1: of that's the kind of interest. Like,
3: have know. I got a bridge to sell some people? <laughs> that they think it's open-source community good practice. I'm going to throw it over to Chris in a minute to say, how you, oh, this is great. This is really good. Thing. <laughs> Seriously, to stick it to some poor yoga teacher, mom or dad somewhere who's going, oh, I'll use WordPress.com with Jetpack. And oh, it's is, it, is 11% a good amount? Should I take 11% of everything I sell and give it to Jetpack? Plus, Trust three? me,
2: I, I have an, I have a yoga teacher as a client and, and she is way too savvy to do that, even if she doesn't understand any of the technical part of how it works.
3: I'm just saying it's like this is this is like the Nigerian scam system. Like, there is no rationale. 2.9% plus 30 is standard industry practice for the gateway. That's what Stripe gets. I get that. But for them to tack on up to 8% per sale with no sliding thing, like it's up to 8% if the transaction's $5. And then it's like this is just knifing people in the back and hoping they don't know. That's well, it, it struck
2: me as highway <laughs> robbery, but Joe had a good point about it.
0: Oh, go there, Joe. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I mean, so Patreon has a, a similar, I'm going to say a similar model. Cause I haven't looked at um, like the various plans, right? With, with Jetpack it's um, on certain wordpress.com plans, which I assume are paid. So if you pay, you pay a lower percentage, Right. With um with Patreon, you know they take between five and twelve percent plus credit card processing fees, so you're paying up to fifteen percent of all of your monthly revenue on Patreon. But that's all you pay, and then you get access to more um, features or whatever. So
3: and it's it, a different service, though, Joe, because Patreon's like a, a you know a, a fund me kind of thing. That's like right. look, I'm a starving artist, right. and I just need you to donate money. Like this is like a just a, a cash register. They're taking a percent
0: Yeah. So I, I would. So uh yeah. So I say the model is out there. I I suspect that the jetpack feature has to do with them buying prosperous uh, and WooCommerce subscriptions. Right. It probably has a lot to do with that. Um, it 10%. is it is a crazy amount. Um, but there is a there is at least a uh, a precedent. Maybe, for charging that much, uh,
2: although I mean so. honestly i I think they may be doing it that way, in part to incentivize more people to just pay for the higher level plan and mm-hmm. therefore avoid those get those percentages, yeah, oh, for
0: sure,
3: plus, it is ironic when you yeah. think of it in terms of that they have Propress and they have also got woocommerce it's ironic because the thing that people should be, could be, would be using is just install the free WordPress plugin. I just want to
1: throw, I just want to throw this over to Chris and, and get, the, get, get the, happy, the happy outlook of 8%.
3: Go on then, Chris. Off you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so one
4: of the things I like to study is uh, SaaS pricing and how people do it. And typically what a SaaS company will do is they'll have two primary value metrics that causes the increase between the three or four price points. And so this is, so in WordPress has always been an interesting challenge because like with Lifter, we intentionally courses, unlimited memberships, unlimited orders, unlimited, the amount of money you make, unlimited, uh, the amount of students you have, unlimited, the amount of teachers you make, unlimited. So this is kind of a unique WordPress issue in the software space, but traditional Software companies uh, they do this all the time, like active campaign, I get charged out the yin yang because I have a big email list, so the i'm being my price goes up the more People that I have on my list. Well, that's you
1: should okay. you should you should use Groundhog. Because there's a <laughs> why are you not using Groundhog,
4: Chris? This because there's, there's a direct. There's well, what I'm saying is there's a direct ROI. Like I'm okay with it. They're jacking up the price, but I'm you know it's important to me. So I just I, don't, I
1: just don't know how you can live with yourself, Chris. Why you know, you won't answer the question? why <laughs> no, are Adrian is not on.
2: even <laughs> here to to uh, listen I'm to you. Coming to I'm
4: coming to it. I'm coming to the answer. So, I mean. So what we do in WordPress is we do like site licenses. I mean, I'm looking at your service, Jonathan, where you have three pricing (laughs) tables and there are... I'm not making the
1: (laughs) kind of money you're making, Chris.
4: (laughs) (laughs) But there are SaaS companies or WaaS companies will figure out their own value metrics. So I I don't fault them for it. And I don't really have a comment because I'd really need to look closely at how they're differentiating their plans. But... This is how pricing works in software. And I would encourage anybody who's interested in pricing to go read Patrick Campbell's blog from Price Intelligently. He's absolutely the most brilliant pricing guy on the internet. Chris Lima is also a really great pricing guy. But this is... um, Patrick's blog talks about exactly how this works. And the fact, WordPress is doing this. They have the right to do it. But this is an open market, open economy. And if the users revolt, they made a mistake. If the users don't revolt, maybe they did it right. But I, I, can't, I, I don't have an opinion on it. I got to see how the market responds.
1: Yes, You've got a very good point there, Chris. Why are you getting so upset, Uncle? You know, you know you're the free Chicago, free enterprise guy. If they, were to, if they were to take these people to the cleaners, isn't that the Chicago way?
4: Well, they have a right. There is an open market. Let's see what happens.
0: Maybe they make a bad move. I don't know. At this, at this rate, they started high, right? So they can go low. Uh,
3: (laughs) Yeah. The problem to me is not that they're going to get a bunch of like complete morons. The problem is that they're going to get a lot of people who are going to see it for what it is, and then they're going to get a lot of stupid people who are not stupid in their brain, but stupid from inexperience, and they're going to just like stumble into this tar pit. And then they're going to end up in the hands of somebody with knowledge and they're going to be like, you've been paying 11%? And then they're going to feel really bad and angry and it's going to be like one of these, you know...
1: They're just going to the freedom of WordPress.org, will not they? You know, know, listen,
3: the the free market economy, Chris's points are well taken because I do agree. There's oftentimes an underlying psychology motivation here that we don't understand, which is like herding the, the sheep or herding the cattle towards this decision or that. I just find it fascinating how... When you have a larger scale company, especially an automatic, that is built on the backs of hippies wearing tie-dye t-shirts eating granola, that you can just stick your thumb in people's eyes with this like, you know, Wall Street type mindset. Like 8% out of the box is such usury. That, like, literally, I can't believe they can even print that because there's no justification at all. So that's the reason why I thought the story was interesting because let's get up and talk about WordPress and the community. And my mom is starting a yoga site, and I'm going to take 11% of her gross income. It's like, F you. I mean, seriously, that's just wrong.
2: I would I would be interested to do the math on like how that might compare to say like if you are on a, a free or a, a very cheap plan at WordPress dot com, you know how does that eight uh, percent. <laughs> compared to oh well, if I want to have a you know self-hosted site, I have to pay for hosting. I have to you know probably pay, pay for somebody to maintain set, it, set uh, WooCommerce up for me. Uh, you know, it, it, it seems ridiculous uh, to us because other options are very easy for us. Um, but is it you know compared to say the cost mm-hmm. of upgrading to your you know business plan for? WordPress.com, which is, you know, not terribly expensive compared to other hosting. It's, you know, kind of in that realm. Um,
3: 11 grand. On, <laughs> 11 grand out of every hundred grand you make. I mean, that's more than the city of Chicago takes from you and the state of who, Illinois. Who's,
0: who? But like, who's making a hundred grand on a WordPress.com site? Okay,
3: 10 grand, you're paying 1100 bucks out of every 10 grand you make from your business. I mean, that's um, 11%. It's
0: 11%. Right. what But it's I mean 11%. like, so first of all, if you're making a hundred grand on a wordpress.com site, then you, and you don't think, Oh man, maybe I should move this to my own platform because I like I am making six figures. You're an idiot who deserves to pay 11%. Well, okay.
3: So like, it's like a friend, if you get a McDonald's French fry for your kid, you t- okay. There's, there's 10 French fries. You go, hold on, Zach. I'm going to take one and a half of your French fries for me because I'm Matt Mullenweg and I can take them from you. Because
0: are- I, I got you Because I'm the one who drove to, to McDonald's yeah. and got
3: the French fries.
0: Right. <laughs> if paralysis. you want French fries, <laughs> buy your own French fries. You
3: no, know, there was somebody who did a very <laughs> interesting thing about how to teach economics to kids, and he did it with ice cream. He did it with M&M's. He did it with... <laughs> And he, it'd be like, let me teach you about taxes, kids. You'd give them like ten pieces of M and M's, and then you go, hold on, and you go, this is for the city, and this is for the state, and this is for your social security, and this. And the kid has four M and M's. They start crying. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> to adulthood. Well, automatic is doing the poor people a favor who want to come on a jetpack and have that Trojan horse in their system. Now yeah. they use this instead of. It's, I just see
1: it another reason why you should use jetpack yourself. <laughs> Well, if they say they're going to run it, I'm su- I'm sure it's going to end up as a superb product. They're- All right, less the English sarcasm. Uh, th- oh, that was so funny. Oh dear, that's why I keep running this show. Our oh, listeners and viewers, man, you have been entertained, haven't you? Uh, <laughs> let's go on to the recommendations. Um, I've been look- listening to audio book, and um, it's a slightly large book. comes I'm, I'm about halfway through it, and it. It's Stalin, Volume 2. It's going to be a free volume. This book is 900 pages, supposedly. Um, Waiting for Hickler, 1929 to 1941. And it's by a geezer called S- Stephen Cokin. And Stephen really knows his Russia. And he really knows, he, well, you better know he's Stalin after write, writing these free volumes. Um, if you want to know about, the abuse of power and you know what a real psychopath really can do compared to our amateur president you you need you need to read this book every page has a little mind-blowing fact about our beloved uncle stalin and um, i highly recommend it um um sadly uh, um, have you got something you want to recommend to the listeners and viewers?
2: Uh, yes, uh, this week I'm recommend- recommending WPAudit.site. Um, put together. Um, by my friend Aruba and it's it's basically a checklist of uh things for going over your website for formatting optimization performance security accessibility uh If you are an experienced developer you you probably do these things anyway or you may have plugins that do them for you um, but it's kind of useful. There were a few things on here I noticed that I hadn't uh, uh, seen before it's uh, something like something called hey meta uh, to see how your website it, it looks on social and hey uh, um, <clears throat> you know some particular uh, checks on kinds of things uh, Hey, so, uh, you know, a little little tool for color contrast checking and that kind of stuff. Um, she also has a service for doing this for you. She said, uh, if, since I mentioned I was going to talk about this here, if you uh, use the code WP Tonic, you can get 20% off the service if you just want her to do your site audit or you have a uh, client who wants to. So, again, it's WPAudit.site.
1: Yeah, make sure the link is in the chat, Sally. Um, it helps me. Right, Uncle Spencer. Oh, dear, you've been entertaining today, Uncle. Uh, have you got something something you want to recommend?
3: I take a couple of weeks off from this joint and I come back all saucy.
1: Yeah. Have you got anything you want to recommend?
3: Yeah, I got this remotehq.com, which, you know, I'm in the constant struggle for new toys to talk to people with because, you know, everything's got its great purpose, but... This one that's interesting if you want to get a bunch of people together to just to like throw stuff into the conversation. This one is interesting in the way it works compared to say, you know, I, I use, you know, Zoom all the time and obviously Slack and Skype and blah blah blah. But this one's good for if you have a bunch of people who have to work on a project and just share on the screen, worth checking out. It's just another one of many, but I found it fascinating. It worked for a particular client use case. Oh. Remote.com.
1: All oh, right, thank you. Chris. Have you got something you want to share with the listeners and viewers?
4: Yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to the team over at Tangible Plugins. They just they released uh, uh, recently something called Lifter Elements, which integrates uh, Deep Elementor integration with Lifter LMS, uh parts. So go check that out at Lifter Elements, or it's actually at TangiblePlugins.com. And they have a new release that's rolling out very shortly, where they have conditional logic built into it as well. So I'm just really excited to see what they do with that. And I also just wanted to provide a bonus tip about the pricing guide that I was talking about. That's over at priceintelligently.com. It's a great... If you have a um, Stripe and you're using it with WooCommerce or, or just using Stripe to process payments, you can suck all your data in there and they give you a bunch of interesting analytics. But if you're interested in the topic of pricing, not just for software, it's a, it's a great uh, resource. They also have a podcast as well. Um, I, I'm forgetting the name of it, but um, mm. it's a Patrick Campbell's a great one to follow.
1: All right. If you can put all that detail in, and I'll make sure it's in the show notes, Chris. Yeah, Thank you for that, Chris. Um, John, have you got something you want to share for the listeners of yours? I do. Um, a site called accessible
5: colors.com. And I'm using this right now uh, as I'm building a, a new website. So, what you do is you drop in your hex color for your text, and then your hex for your background color. And it will tell you if it's uh, AAA compliant or AA compliant. Yeah, and uh, you just tell it like what the pixel size is, what font weight it is. And if it happens to fail, either AA or uh, AAA, it will give you suggestions about change the background color to this, and it will be compliant or uh, change the text color to this. So this is a real handy tool uh, for, for all the web designers still putting pale Gray on a, a white background. Uh,
1: yeah. This, I do, I do it, it every day. for you guys. I do it every day. Uh, um, but thank you for that. That's great.
0: Thanks, John. Um, Joe, have you got anything you want to recommend to the listeners for us? Yes. So uh, I am recommending a physical product that uh, you can see on my wall right over here. Here. Um It's called the uh, Focused Calendar. It is a wall calendar that's broken up into quarters. I really like it. It's, it's $29 and it's just going to uh, you know, as we get to the end of the year, you might want to be planning uh, your, your next year. And so I'm using it to kind of write down all of the important dates and product launches and my podcast schedule and things like that. So um, I'm a big fan of it. You can find it over at neu.com year.net slash product slash focus. I'm sure Jonathan will put it in the show notes. And then yeah, I'll
1: uh, put it into chat and I'll yep. make sure it's all. Are you getting 11% for sponsoring it?
0: Yeah, they're they're throwing me 11% uh, affiliate <laughs> on every sale. <laughs> um, but I, I, also, I, I also wanted to mention since Chris brought up uh, Patrick Campbell twice, uh, I interviewed him for my podcast over how I built it. Uh, and we had a really good conversation about pricing and psychology. So uh, transcript is there if you want to read it or if you want to have a listen. Um, I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot from that conversation in particular.
1: I have to get him on the show in the new year. Well, we were, um, well thank you, panel. I, I think the past few episodes have been highly entertaining. I've got to say, you've been at your best today. So we're going to wrap it up now, folks. We'll be back next week with another great panel and hopefully another great discussion. We see you soon. Bye.